All right, and welcome back. Tonight our guest is Dr. Walter E. Williams from George Mason University. Dr. Williams, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. So <laughs> why don't you start off by telling us a little about yourself then? <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I am a professor of economics at George Mason uh, University. I, uh, I've been teaching there for, uh, this starts my 40th year. It won't be 40 more. And um, I do a lot of writing, and I have a lot of uh, material about me at my website, which is WalterEWilliams.com. Okay. Well, congratulations on 40 years. And um, so tonight we're here to talk about affirmative action and freedom of association. So for those in the audience who may not be familiar with what those two things are, could you just start off by explaining them? Well, uh, affirmative action uh, is, I guess, it's, a, it's an enlightened form of racial discrimination. Uh, that is, uh, uh, affirmative action that requires various institutions to uh, take a race into account when they either admit students or, or when an employer hires employees uh, and uh and this is done with the uh, stated purpose of correcting uh, past injustices. But uh, I don't think that one can correct uh, past injustices by uh, punishing uh, one person, let's say punishing individual. And you know, let me start again. Uh, helping individual A by punishing individual B for what individual C did to individual D uh, 200 years ago. Okay. So, uh, you know, that is, uh, there's, there, uh, what I'm saying and put, applying it to affirmative action, that is uh, creating a special advantage uh, for a black by punishing a white for what a white did to a black uh, 150 years, 200 years ago. And I think that if you have any sense of uh, uh, individual responsibility, you should find that uh, offensive. Yeah, because I know most people today, when they think about affirmative action, they don't think of it as kind of hindering any progress or punishment. They kind of view it as one way of helping a group of um, people in society. I mean, you definitely do have a new vision of it. and I. That's right. That is you. It, it, it is a, a zero-sum game. That is, if you look at college admittances, that is, if, the, if a college admits a, uh, a woman or black or 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 gives a special privilege to uh, uh, one person, well, it comes at the expense of another person who does not gain admission to the college. Okay. Would you also somewhat compare that to the, um, I believe it was Harvard, where they produced higher standards for, I believe it was Asian students to get into? Oh, and that's right. And, uh, and evidently the courts think that it's okay. And Harvard is guilty of doing the same thing uh, in earlier times to uh, uh, Jewish Americans, that is uh, discriminating against them. And, uh, but however, uh, I think that uh, to the extent that Harvard is a, is a private school, yes. and, uh, and uh, I think that they have the right to uh, admit students on any criteria that they wish, uh, so long as they're not receiving any government money, but I, I would imagine that they're receiving a whole lot of government money, and so they don't have the right to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, they have, I believe, the largest endowment from the federal government of any college. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the endowment doesn't come from 
from the federal government. It comes from a, a, a generous. Uh, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's true. Yeah. Donors, but I'm saying that they have research uh, grants and other kinds of grants from the federal government. And once you uh, do, once you opt to do that, then your rights to engage in certain activities uh, uh, cease. Okay. Now, I also want to talk about how you've said in the past when it comes to stuff like affirmative action, that um, basically you've said in the past like laws regulating economic activity have done more to hinder populations like the black population than racial bigotry. Would you repeat the question again? Yeah, so I know you've argued in the past that stuff like affirmative action has done more to kind of hinder minority populations than help them. And, like, would you say that's more than, like, racial bigotry, or would you say they're kind of just, like, on the same playing field? Well, I I think that... uh uh, treating anybody uh, uh, differently, or, or or lowering standards for uh, uh, for one person, uh, that doesn't do very much for that person. That is, uh, uh, um, that is when when people lower standards for blacks to be admitted to medical school or or to college in general, uh, it, it it doesn't do very much for that particular individual. Uh, because it creates the uh, the image uh, among other people that the person did not uh, uh, merit uh, what he got, um, and and if you and and a lot of people believe that that uh, blacks must be treated with kid gloves, and that's just plain nonsense. That is, uh, the areas where blacks do the do the best, uh, there's ruthless, very very ruthless competition, uh, such as in football baseball uh, basketball and uh and and entertainment industry and those are areas where blacks excel the most and they're and they have to be the areas where uh there's a very ruthless competition and you don't find any any uh special privileges given so you're saying that when you increase um competition whether it be in like sports or entertainment or any other industry it actually is better for them Oh well, yeah, I, I think so. And that is to make people uh, come up to certain standards, uh, and uh, I think that and, and demand that they come up to certain standards. I think it's uh, always works in the interest of the people who uh, who are involved. Okay, so if like if that's true, why do you think people still think that there is a need for something like affirmative action? Well. Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure why they why, why they think it's a it's it's a it's an easier way out. That is to uh, rather than demand that, uh, for example, de- rather than demand that high schools uh, give not give give out fraudulent degrees uh, to uh, to black students to make them come up the same standards of, as white students. Uh, that's hard. That, you know, that's a hard job. But to but to uh, have special admissions uh, procedures, uh, that's much easier. And so people always tend to go the easy route. Okay. Yeah, I never would have thought of it that way. So another thing that comes up in the discussion about affirmative action is when this started, I believe it was under Nixon, if I'm not mistaken, in the Nixon years, they say there actually was hindrance or things that would have held minorities back from getting stuff like jobs and everything 
but now there's some who want to get rid of it. They say that's not the case anymore. Would you agree with that, or do you kind of have a disagreement with that? Well, I, I, I <laughs> we have a kind of weak connection. I, I, I didn't quite hear your question. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, can you hear me fine now? Yes. Okay, so some people, when they discuss it, um, if I'm not mistaken, affirmative action started under the Nixon administration in the Nixon years. Yeah. And they, some people will say that during those years, um, there was racial hindrance and bigotry and everything that would have held populations like the black population or other minorities back. And that is the main reason why they did affirmative action. And would you agree with that, or would you? Well, I, I, I would say that. Uh that what what one needs to do, uh, or what sh- should have been done, is to say that uh, is to ha- have a law or have a have, have some kind of a, a legal structure saying that the Constitution applies equally to all Americans, and that uh, all Americans uh, uh, should be uh, uh, treated uh, equally, and uh, and and just leave it like that. Uh, we see. We see uh, many examples, particularly in the sports and in, in entertainment industry, uh, the fact, very fact that blacks uh, are 80 percent of the uh, National Basketball Association players, and 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 the uh, and also the uh, the highest paid and some of the best players. That's not a result of affirmative action. Uh, that is, at one time, blacks were not permitted to be in the in the National uh, Basketball uh, Association. And uh, and all that was needed is to say, well, blacks can be in. And the same thing with football and the same thing with the enter- entertainment. Uh, you just have to uh, eliminate the the uh, the racial barriers to entry and and then uh, then play then keep keep on playing the game. That is, I think one of the things that you, that you have to realize is that it is impossible to make up for past injustices, and the reason why is that it's impossible to change history. History is what it is. And so the, the, the task for Americans is just to simply say, well, we're just not going to have these uh, discriminatory uh, laws anymore, and we're just going to com- continue to play the game. But if you, I mean, it kind of seems, though, that some people think they can rewrite history by doing stuff like affirmative action. You know, and and that's that's just plain false. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting to see how they try doing that. But um, so, do you feel like there's ever a chance that this policy will end, or do you think it's just too kind of been in for too long to kind of just end? Well, it I, I I think that it's a uh, uh, it's it's coming to an end. That is, uh, there there are various laws and at, at at the state and local levels uh, prohibiting. Uh, uh, discrimination like California's uh, Proposition 209, I believe that's what what it was, uh, in, uh, uh, requiring that uh, colleges no longer uh, engage in in discriminatory admissions practices, and and it turns out that's a very interesting case in the case of California. That is, uh, there are far few as a result of Proposition 209, there are far fewer blacks attending. Um, California's uh, top uh, universities, such as UCLA and UC Berkeley, but far more attending the uh, uh, Riverside, UC Riverside, UC Irvine, and uh, and and their total number of blacks uh, graduating from those colleges from the UC system has increased uh, after uh, Proposition 209, and that is uh, uh, a lot of times what affirmative action does. 
it it puts in it gets students in over their head. That is, uh, students who who might do well in a less competitive setting. It puts them in a highly competitive setting where they just cannot compete because of their uh, whatever disadvantages they have, and so it makes them worse off. Uh, my colleague, my friend, colleague, uh, and colleague uh, Thomas Sowell, he did a study oh, some years ago and found out that that somewhere around 70 some percent of uh, black students at UC Berkeley uh, failed to uh, uh, graduate. And um, uh, but, however, uh, blacks that went to San Jose State College, which is uh, down the road and and a far less powerful college, they were doing far better. And so. A lot of times to, to have a person, to get a person in over his head, that's very damaging and, and very seldom does result from it. And, and another example is uh, that my colleague Tom Sowell did that at, uh, at MIT, School, School of Engineering, uh, roughly 50% of black students were on academic probation. And, and the rather interesting thing is that those black students at MIT they were and they scored in the top five percent across the nation on the quantitative portion of the SAT. But the problem for them is that all the other students at the uh, at MIT they scored in the top one percent, and so they, they so so these black students were at the very bottom. Now, if there weren't affirmative action and these black students went to uh, Cornell or University of Pennsylvania, other respect, respectable uh, engineering programs, but just not as powerful as MIT, uh, they would have been uh, successes. And so what, so what affirmative action also, uh, very often does, it turns people who would be successful in a uh, less uh, rigorous setting, uh, they, it turns them into failures. And, and I've often asked the question, can black people afford uh, for the for blacks to go to MIT and be you know top five five percent uh, in the quantitative portion of the SAT and be turned into failures and I say no blacks cannot do blacks cannot afford that and so some some people say well what will MIT do in order to get uh, uh, black students uh, I tell them well that's MIT's problem it's not black people's problem. Well, we definitely are big fans of your colleague, Thomas Sowell, here. So, I mean, just to hear a couple of studies that come from him is definitely big for us. But um, so since we've talked about affirmative action for a little bit, I kind of want to move now to um, freedom of association. Can you discuss, Can you tell us a little bit about what that is for those who may not know? Well, uh, well, freedom of association has to do with people's rights to be able to associate with people whom uh, people that they please to us. Uh, for they, it has to do with their people's rights to associate with in in ways that they deem uh, desirable. And uh, and and the ones the true test of one's commitment to uh, freedom of association it doesn't come when pe- when when you allow people to associate in ways that you find desirable it comes when you allow people to associate in ways that you find despicable uh the, the matter of fact the same principle applies to free speech that is one's commitment to free speech doesn't come when he allows people to be free to say those things with which he agrees it comes when he allows people to say those things that he finds utterly offensive and that's the same thing with uh, uh freedom of association and in general, 
uh, for people to be for um, personal freedom, it requires that you be very brave because you have to you have to learn to accept the fact that people are going to behave in ways or say things that you find utterly offensive, and but you have to be uh, brave enough to be able to uh, deal with that. It's kind of interesting that you compare it to freedom of speech because nowadays you kind of have the kind of a time-worn adage now that some people will say when they're arguing against something being said is that free speech equals hate speech. Would you feel for like it might be the same for some when it comes to freedom of association? Like when it comes well, well, well people people are free to say, uh, in my opinion, uh, people yeah. are free to say anything that they want. The, uh, that is, people are. I, I believe that people are free. Should be free to engage in any particular uh, voluntary uh, um, behavior that they deem desirable. And a lot of people say, "Well, gee, uh, um, the, you know, you'll talk to you'll find some people, legal minds. They'll say, well, gee, people can't hire fire in a crowded theater.' Uh, so there's some restrictions on free speech." Yeah. Well, the, the problem with hiring a collar and fire in a crowded theater, theater is that you violate co- people's contracts. That is, people come into the theater uh, expecting to watch a show as opposed to somebody uh, hollering fire. But, however, I'm very sure that if on the on a theater, <laughs> if at a theater marquee, uh, there was the statement uh, that during the performance of the show, someone's going to holler fire. Well, then they they, they 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 have every right to do that because uh, people are, who attend the uh, show they they know that the show is going to be in, interrupted. So, but however, I think that uh, 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 freedom of of uh, speech uh, is is a very very important uh, is, is a very very important right that we have, and people who want to take over our lives, uh, they they first. Uh, order of business is to restrict free speech, and and it's very interesting if you look at free speech or freedom of association. Uh, back in the in the sixties at Berkeley, uh, the Mario Savio he was uh, calling for free speech. It was a free speech movement, and and now at Berkeley they don't want free speech. Uh, so what what happens is that. Uh, tyrants and totalitarians, uh, they want free speech. They start out wanting free speech because free speech is verb- is vital to their ability to organize and to uh, uh, to engage in, in, in certain behavior to, to gain a lot of power. And once they have the power, then they want to get rid of free speech. And that's the same in, in, uh, in, in communist countries, in, in totalitarian countries. Uh, they they want free speech at the beginning in order to get the power, yeah. and then once they get the power, they want to restrict free speech, and uh, and the same thing applies to freedom of association. Okay, so for some, why would this? Why would freedom of association be so controversial if it you're just free to basically associate with whoever you please? It does it come into like groups you may associate with, like other like controversial groups today, like, I don't know, neo-Nazis or the KKK, or is it just come into just, like, they just don't want people to associate, I guess? Well, well, no, I think what most people, um, when they think that there should be restrictions on their freedom of association, they say, well, look at 
uh, at country club memberships. They should uh, should not uh, uh, discriminate in the membership. Or they'll say, well, restaurants should serve everybody. Uh, and uh, but but it's, in, in my opinion, uh, people have the right to associate in any way that they wish, and um, including country clubs and restaurants and employment. And so, um, so, so the, uh, the 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 reason, the the justification that that I find uh, for uh, for for the violations of various uh, 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 for freedom of association is that if you look back in our history, there were various laws uh, saying that well, blacks could not go into a restaurant. Or blacks could not do this, and blacks didn't could do, could not do that. And once you see a law on the books, uh, the, w- your first approximation should be that law is there because not everybody would behave according to the specifications of the law. That is, uh, having a law saying that well, um, movies, uh, theaters cannot admit blacks um, uh, suggests that well, uh, some theater owners would admit blacks. And so uh, anytime you see a law on the books, you have to guess that that law is there because not everybody would behave according to specifications of that law. So basically that, like, you're comparing it to restaurants, like, they can serve whoever they want and just, like, they don't have to give food to whoever, like, even if somebody comes in, they don't have to serve them. Kind of just like with the... Yeah, kind of just like right now with the big controversy with, um, I believe it's out in Colorado, the baker who refused to do the wedding for the gay couple and now yeah, right. he's gone and and, and 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 that that violates his rights that is people have the uh should people should have the right to do that and 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 I'm very sure that the uh that the the, the people who wanted the uh, baker to bake the uh the wedding cake uh they surely I I'm sure that there's another baker in town that would have done it but they were just kind of singling out that person that particular baker to uh, uh, to give him a lot of uh, problems. Yeah, I mean the what I mean the question I would ask myself is like, I would just go find another baker. I mean, like, why go through all the trouble to sue them? Well, they they have an agenda. They have a mission to uh, to to promote uh, uh, homosexuality. And 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 one one of the rather tragic things about uh, homosexuality is that back in the forties and fifties. Uh, homosexuals were saying we want the government out of our bedrooms, and and I would agree with them uh, that the government does not belong in people's bedrooms. But uh, however, they've gone far far beyond uh, that demand. Uh, they <laughs> they they want things like a, um, a special accommodation. They want to be able to teach our ch- children primary and secondary school about homosexuality. And uh, and that's a, a violation of, of my rights as a parent. And but however, the the argument that they used to make, uh, we want the government out of our bedroom. We I buy that one hundred percent. I'm on their side. Yeah. Okay. So we're coming close to the end of our time together. So I just want to talk about one more thing quickly. Um, this is a co- question that came from my co-host Andrew, who's was unable to join us right now, but he wanted me to ask you, um, do you think that socialist policies in the United States are increasing in popularity? And do you think if they ever end up happening, that they will force an economic collapse? 
What what kind of policy? Socialist policies. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I think socialism socialism has been a disaster where it's tried. That is, the people who call for socialism, uh, I think you just need to ask them a question. Well, uh, where has it been very successful? Now, a lot of people say, oh well, Denmark and Sweden. Well, that that's that's just plain nonsense. That is. The, the, I think last year or this year, the prime minister of Denmark said, well, we're not a socialist country. The same thing that in, in the, the, uh, the, the prime minister of uh, Sweden. And it turns out that they have a huge welfare state, but socialists would not like uh, many of the policies of, uh, of, of Sweden. That is, Sweden has no minimum wage law. And the American socialists would not like that. Uh, Sweden has a, a, a school voucher system. Uh, the uh, American Association, American <laughs> socialists would not like that. And so I think that the burden of people calling for socialism is to say, well, where has it worked? And and it turns out that uh, uh, socialist uh, countries have been the most vicious countries on the face of Earth. Uh, that is Stalin. Or Mao Zedong, or Khrushchev, uh, or or Castro, and you look at these people; they 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 slaughtered uh, uh, tens of millions of their own people in the attempt to impose uh, socialism on them. And so, I think that any American who calls for socialism, they they just don't really understand. And more evidence, you know, like Venezuela, and uh, which is a socialist country, or Argentina. In the 1940s and 1950s, uh, they used to be the richest countries in South South uh, South America, uh, and Venezuela sits on some of the world's uh, um, uh, uh, high uh, petroleum uh, reserves. Uh, they, you know, they have the, I think they have the largest petroleum reserves in the world. Yeah. But nonetheless, they're they're very poor. People are eating uh, animals. People are uh, can't get toilet paper and all this kind of that stuff. So. I think the task that you need to ask uh, anybody calling for socialism is where does where did where did it work? And kind of just to play devil's advocate, because this is an argument they use. Um, they, whenever you talk with somebody who believes in socialism, sometimes they'll come back and say, "Well, it was never done right." Like when they when somebody brings up the Soviet Union or another country that did it, they're kind of like, "Well, that wasn't true communism or socialism." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well. Uh, and, uh, nowhere has it been done right, and so you have to ask, well, well, where has it been done right? Uh, and and whenever you talk about socialism, it goes against human nature. And so what you need to do, you need the brute force of government to uh, to, to to get rid of the uh, basic characteristics of human nature. And that is, people want to keep what they produce. That's a basic character of, of uh, characteristic of human nature, and uh, and socialism says, well, well, gee, you can't do that. So, uh, so it has to use force to make people behave according to the uh, uh, the the demands of the leaders. Okay. So, one last question before you go: um, Do you have a book? or any form of literature that you recommend that anybody who wants to learn more about economics go out and read? Oh, well, there, uh, there's a, a lot of material at my website, WalterEWilliams.com. Uh, and uh, there, uh, I guess the best single book 
that uh, I, I would recommend that uh, people read is a book by uh, Frederick Bastiat, a French uh, okay. economist, uh, politician, and it's called The Law. And it's not it's not a very very big book, but it's uh, it's one of the best books around for understanding the essentials of personal liberty. Okay. Right. Well, Dr. Williams, it's definitely been a pleasure having you on. And once again, thank you for coming on. And thank you for inviting me. Good luck. Thank you. Have a good one.